You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon and welcome to the Bo's Nose Show and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich and we're broadcasting to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon and it's another great day in the Pacific Northwest and I kind of love this time of year. We're getting about 16 hours of daylight a day here and uh, pretty soon it's going to be 10 o'clock at night and still light out and yeah, when you want to do something outside, you've got a long day to get it done. And uh, one of the fun things about living out up here uh, above about the 45th parallel is uh, we do get some long summer days. So, again, we're at a free-for-all here on the Bose Nose Show, which means you can control the topic and we can talk about anything you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. All you have to do is dial in at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire know that you want to get in on the show and we'll get you lined up and ready to go here. And you can talk about anything you want to talk about. Uh, You can talk about some of our past shows where we talked to the DA or the sheriff or some of the other things we've talked about, like our budget uh, or just whatever's on your mind. Uh, about local government, state government, uh, national government, uh, or, you know, whatever you you, you want to talk about. We, we've had some interesting discussions. In fact, we had somebody call in and want to talk about the Elliott State Forest uh, and, and had a significant conversation about uh, whether or not the state should be buying uh, a forest from itself. Uh, so just give us a call here again at 646-721-9887. Again, press 1, and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation because some people call in that number. You can also listen to the show by calling in on that number. So uh, we do get some folks that that's the way they want to connect because they don't really have a, a solid Internet connection. Uh, I know we've got a f- couple listeners that drive trucks, and that's how they listen to the show is by calling in on their phone and putting the phone on speaker. So uh, it's one way you can get the Bose Nose Show. But you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And you can do that anytime during the week, because I know some of you folks listen to this show not live, but in the uh, by our archives. And uh, that's one of the ways that if, you know, if there's something said you want to make a comment about or there's a suggestion you have for a guest, or whatever, that's one of the ways you can connect connect with us, as well as you can reach us on Facebook. Uh, we have a KRBN um, Talk Radio Facebook page. Uh, you can also get to my Facebook page. I have a personal Facebook page, Jay Bozovich. I also have Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner page uh, that 
so you know if you want to see poodle pictures you can get to my personal page and friend me personally and see all my poodle pictures uh if you want to uh hear about things that are happening in the county and and around the state and be more on the political side you can you can uh, like my uh commissioner's page and if you want to know about what's going on with uh, krbn talk radio on the internet here you can get to that facebook page any one of those places you can personal message me so uh, that's another way you can reach me. And that's one of the reasons why I do this show in particular is I'm trying to make sure I'm available at least uh, for an hour a week where folks can talk to me uh, live over the radio. And they, you know, it's your opportunity to put me on the spot, ask me the tough questions. So I want to real quick before we get into some of the topics I have, I just want to make sure people know about uh, here in the uh, Fern Ridge area that the Lane Fire Authority's got a car seat checkup going on and it started at 2.30. It's going on right now at their main fire station there on Territorial Highway there in Benita. Um, that's that's Lane Fire Authority. So if you're uh, a parent, you're not sure your car seat's fitting right or you got the right car seat for, for your kid, they will check it all over for free. Make sure it's installed correctly, that it's that it's in safely. It's an important thing to keep your kids safe. So there's an opportunity for you, a little community event going on right now at the same time as the Bose Nose Show. Uh, and you know, you can listen to me on your phone while you're while you're waiting for them to check on your car seat. So again, that number is 646-721-9887. So it's been uh, an interesting week in the news here. Uh, you know, we had the, the Portland Max train uh, incident with the guy that was intimidating a couple young ladies and the, the folks that stepped in, the heroes, I should say, that stepped in to defend them, uh, that he ultimately attacked. He killed two of them and injured one. And that's kind of brought out the whole issue of um, just how uh, polarized and crazy some of the politics have gotten here in the U.S., not to mention everything we're seeing from London and Paris over the last week with, with uh, folks and attacks and crazy things going on. Uh, and it was sort of brought home to me when I had a constituent call me and, and complain about a local business that has one of those um, reader boards out front uh, that, that will, you know, you can kind of change the letters on not, it's not one of an electronic reader board. It's the old fashioned style where you got to change the, the, the letters on the signs. And he was a little upset about, um, something they had on their sign because he kind of thought it was, um, provocative and, uh, insightful and not helpful in the discourse. And he wondered if there was something that you know, Lane County could do, you know, uh, to, to get those folks to change what was on their sign. And that led to a whole different discussion about uh, free speech and, and, and particularly political speech and government's role in being able to control the content of political speech. And, uh, at, and at the same time, hate speech and, and what speech is actually illegal um, with that constituent spent almost an hour on the phone with him. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, and I think, yeah, the owners of this particular business and, and uh, 
I'll probably identify them because in, in some ways, because uh, one, I kind of know some, the owners and, and two, um, uh, when I mentioned what was on their sign that had this guy upset, um, most people will recognize it, that, that drive this stretch of road. Uh, but on, on, on a, a, a road that's pretty popular in this area headed into Eugene on the uh, side of the sign that was on the inbound side heading towards Eugene, uh, they have warning snowflakes ahead on the side. And, you know, you would think that's pretty innocuous, but that was really what had this guy's crank turned up was he just felt that that was not helpful and leading to further polarization in our community. And, you know, look what happened in Portland and, and uh, you know, in the subsequent rallies and all the, the violence around those rallies. Uh, and it's just not being helpful in, in today's world to have folks, you know, putting stuff like that up. And, yeah, I kind of explained it. I thought they were trying to be humorous. Um, and, and I also kind of explained it, you know, it wasn't probably the smartest business decision to have something that kind of made fun of one part of potential customers um, that might consider themselves the target of the, of the snowflake comment, because believe it or not, some folks that we might identify that, that they might identify as snowflakes also still purchase firearms and ammunition. Uh, if you haven't figured out which business it is by now, you might, you might know now. Uh, but, you know, so it, 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 you know, one thing to be making fun, but usually when you're making fun, there is a segment that you're making fun of and they can, they could be potential customers. Um, in fact, I, I have several friends that are what I would consider very, um, progressive liberals that shoot on a regular basis. Uh, and so you can't exactly um, make assumptions based on political leanings. So, you know, the question came up about, you know, could, you know, could somebody from the county like a sheriff or a deputy or something like that stop in and maybe talk to these guys about, you know, toning their sign down a little bit and maybe being a little bit uh, more sensitive to not adding polarization into the the civic discourse uh, around the area. And I had to explain that, you know, that deputy is wearing a uniform that identifies him as a representative of a government, of, of, of Lane County government. And they're, they're very, you know, lots of court rulings and all that stuff that basically say, government cannot control the content of speech and particularly political speech. We can talk about time, place, and manner if it's content neutral restrictions on time, place, and manner, but we cannot control the content. It's one of the reasons why it was so um, antithetical when uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler uh, was proposing to stop a rally based on the content of that rally. You just can't do that. We had, you know, the, the county commissioners went through quite a careful exercise when we were starting to look at how we wanted to allow the, the free speech plaza at our county uh, service building to be utilized um, because we had to make sure any rules we wrote up were content neutral. 
which means they had to basically apply to everyone equally, uh, whatever the rules are, not in particular, you know, be about what people were trying to, uh, what kind of political speech they were going to espouse or anything like that. So it's a really, you know, interesting, you know, the, the, the constituent kept pushing the issue that, you know, um, law enforcement used to be referred to as, as peace officers and, and they talk about keeping the peace and this would be just uh, an extension of keeping the peace. And I, you know, I had to kind of keep going back to, it still gets into to asking somebody to change the content of political speech and makes us actually liable to be sued by those folks for interfering with their political speech, uh, even even to talk to them about it. So it got me to thinking about this, the, the current times we're in and, and why has it gotten so divisive and why are people that sensitive that that kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek sign like warning snowflakes ahead as you're driving towards Eugene, um, you know, would make somebody actually stop and talk to the owners for a while and then also call a county commissioner and ask them about, you know, that particular sign. And I, and I really, you know, and I've talked about this a little bit about how, you know, politic, politics has gotten very divisive and, and, and the politics of division and, and putting us in groups and, and, and setting groups against each other. But I really think also another, another piece that gets us into this is how social media has made it so that we really don't have discourse. We really only have um, a quick soundbite, an, an emotional put down of somebody else or a quick emotional argument and no detailed rational um, defense of your your own position. Just a quick, short attack on the other guy. Rather than having a, a discussion of why your position's correct and, and then having the person respond with why he feels his position's correct and having a rational discourse and ex exploration of those positions, social media lends us to, you know, the frowny face, you know, uh, comment on Facebook or the 140 character put down on Twitter. You know, it's not conducive to uh, really getting beyond that. Just like this little reader board sign, you're not going to read more than about four words as you go by this business at 55 to 65 miles an hour, which probably most people are on the 65 side in that stretch of Highway 99. Um, it's, it's going to be short and quick and because they want, you know, folks to, to kind of take notice or remember, it's going to have to be punchy <laughs> and, and that's just, you know, and, and that's our society nowadays, you know, where it used to be, you'd see 60 second commercials. Most people can't sit still through a 60 second commercial. They've gone to 30 seconds and sometimes even 15 seconds on commercials because that's the attention span that people are getting now. They just bang, 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 bang. You know, and it, it, it's the 140 characters, the, the quick comment on Facebook. You look at the comments on, on uh, 
you know, online uh, newspaper articles or when you post, half the times the comments are written purely on the headline. And, and, if, and you read the comment uh, that some people make, and if they had actually read the article underneath the headline, they would never have made the comment they made. Because <laughs> sometimes headlines are misleading. Um, you know, it, it, it just surprises me. I, 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 recently, there's, uh, KVAL did an article on our Stepping Up initiative that I talked about last week uh, a little bit, and they, they used uh, my quote as the headline of the article, which is that jails have become our largest uh, treatment for folks with mental illness, our largest provider. It wasn't that I want them to be that, but that's the way people took it. If they had actually listened to the, you know, read the story or watched the, the video, they'd realize what we're trying to do is, is change that. They become that by, by de facto, you know, and that's where people are ending up with mental illness. Not that that's where I want them to be, but they saw that quote and some of them actually reacted in the comment section like that's what I wanted was to treat people with mental illness in our jail. So um, it's interesting how social media has added to this whole thing where we have, you know, we haven't gotten that. And, and for those that think it's gotten worse now, and, it, you know, we're in this horrible time and it's all because of the last election and whether you blame it on on um, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or the news media, you know, the mainstream media or social media, fake news, uh, talk radio, whatever you're blaming this on and you think it's unique to this this time, I would suggest pick up a book about the founding fathers any decent history book, whether you pick up John Adams uh, uh, or you pick up Alexander Hamilton by Chernov, uh, you pick up 1776, you pick up uh, some of Jefferson's biographies on it, those guys were absolutely vicious to each other through the press and, you know, wrote articles under false names, uh, that were had horrible, awful, unbased charges about each other at times. You know, Alexander Hamilton, according to uh, surrogates of Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, through papers they actually purchased and owned and controlled, but always claimed to never have any control over, but yet ultimately they did, um, accused Alexander Hamilton of wanting to return the U.S. back to England and set up a um, monarchy here in, in 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 the in the colonies. At the same time, you know, they're accusing uh, Jefferson of being a libertine and 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 talking out of both sides of his mouth. You know, talking about being a man of the people. Yet he actually was this elite set up. You know, you know, with a rich person and um, they just you know were absolutely vicious to each other. But, you know, what was interesting, though, it wasn't a soundbite. I mean, they're writing, you know, two, three thousand word um, essays about each other. And, and and sometimes it came out in installments that would take, you know, a whole year to go through just about, you know, pages and pages these guys wrote. And, and um, but it was 
absolutely vicious. And anyone that thinks that journalism today and, and news media are biased, in those days, the, what became the, the, the political parties, you know, they were nascent at that stage because there actually hadn't been political parties until the Federalists and, and the uh, Republicans, as they called them back in those days, which was those that believed, you know, the Federalists believed in a strong central national government and the Federalists at that time believed that the states had to have supremacy and that there really ought to be just this kind of agrarian society in the U.S., which fit the South just fine and, and continue owning slaves. Uh, so that it was, you know, this whole um, battle back and forth between those those two camps uh, got to be so vicious where, you know, the Federalists and the Republicans actually owned newspapers in various cities and maybe even multiples of them. And they're, they're constantly used that, that media to attack each other. And sometimes in very vicious ways, quite often, though, um, they would utilize that same sort of thing to make arguments in favor of things. Uh, uh, Hamilton uh, wrote a series of, argue, of, of, of opinion pieces under pseudonyms to support the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. Um, so it got used in good ways, too. Um, and in fact, that became known as something called the Federalist Papers. Uh, and actually, James Madison contributed to the Federalist Papers. It was before they actually split the sheets and, and started attacking each other as much, but uh, extremely vicious. And, you know, and it, it didn't stop there. And, and we all know that Hamilton ended up dying in a duel with Aaron Burr, which stemmed from the uh, slurs that were made in public and all that. And back in those days, dueling was kind of, um, you know, considered a, a, a defending of honor was kind of a common thing, even if it was sort of on the way out. But, you know, even at later times, close to the Civil War, there was one congressman that caned another congressman nearly to death on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Was it Senate or the House? I'm trying to remember. It might have been the Senate. But still, you know, that was, you know, I can't, at least we, we stopped caning each other, you know, in these times. So, so put this in perspective in some ways, you know, is what I, you know, I'm, I'm first telling people, this is not a new phenomenon that politics has gotten vicious or even violent. So, um, you know, it, it historically has been around, but the difference nowadays, though, is we are well enough educated as a society and should be technologically advanced enough that we should be able to rise above what happened with our founding fathers or even what happened close to the Civil War on the floor of our, our, our national um, representatives. We are at a time where we ought to be able to have civil discourse. Even with Facebook, Twitter, uh, you know, signage on the side of the highway, we should have enough control within ourselves, understanding what it means. We should start having self-discipline to have more civil discourse. And, it, and one of the things that kind of brought this home to me was I, I was listening to some folks 
uh, discussing you know, Oregon's education budget and education in general and on both local talk shows and national talk shows you know, where folks were calling in talking about how kids aren't taught critical thinking anymore. And then you think about, you know, is warning snowflakes ahead what you would think of as critical thinking and civil discourse? Because, you know, the whole part about critical thinking is, is being able to go out and look on your own and not assume what you're being told is correct. And then being able to defend your conclusions with, you know, argument, with good, strong argument based on research. You know, and warning snowflakes ahead isn't much of a an argument and is, isn't exactly what I would call a piece of critical thinking. Just as somebody that, you know, wants to immediately bash somebody as, as a, you know, Donald Trump supporter is supposed to be some kind of racist Neanderthal that doesn't like women, um, that's not a very strong piece of critical thinking. And I think I've heard both conservatives and liberals talk about how much they think school systems need to be improved and critical thinking needs to be taught and, and you know, broad education needs is, and is important. So why do those folks, anyone that would talk that way, then drop themselves down to a level of the quick, punchy um, argument where they just you know, call it, call somebody a racist and that, that makes the argument done rather than be able to defend your position with rational argument of some kind. You know, that to me is, is where we need to head. And, and what I am going to try and promote and try and avoid in myself is not the quick hit, not to, to, to go after somebody on a, on a, below the belt emotional level and the sound bite and shut the argument down type thing. I'm going to try and explain why I believe something in a rational way and support it. And I'm going to listen if the other person wants to do the same thing. Because, you know, one of the things I've talked about, I talked about it after the election is people need to presume that if somebody doesn't believe as they do on a political issue, that they don't believe that out of, you know, um, some evil intent, that they, they're ultimately an evil person. They usually believe that because they think it's what's best and, and right. And they have some reason for believing that. And some it's worth having enough of a conversation at a civil level to understand why they believe that. And then maybe you can kind of probe into those beliefs and get them to question, you know, some of their, their foundational beliefs and why they believe a certain issue should be a certain way. And to me, that's where we need to start getting with our discourse in this country. So we don't have folks that are, you know, slicing people's necks because they actually stepped in and said, hey, you're kind of scaring those two girls and you're being a little bit um, over the top, you know, and, and, and intimidating them and the reactions, I'm going to cut your, your carotid artery. Um, that's not exactly civil discourse. Neither is you guys are rallying to support somebody we think is horrible. So we're going to throw bricks at the cops that are separating us from you. Cause we'd really like to go over there and beat you guys up. 
uh, you know, that's not civil discourse either. Um, we've got to get to the point where we can talk to each other and uh, explain why we believe what we believe and then and be willing to have people question that and not get overly offended because we question it. You know, we, we, sh we really need to get to the point where we're willing to listen to each other's explanations of why we believe what we believe and then be willing to have our our beliefs questioned in some ways without reacting in a violent manner and shutting the argument down. You know, we have to be critical thinkers. We have to be willing to uh, have civil discourse. And that's where we'll get past this, this, this time and point in our country where we are so divided. And we'll start finding out if we have that civil discourse, that that guy's not evil. He just has some base assumptions that lead him to that conclusion, while I have these base assumptions that lead me to a, an opposing conclusion. And, you know, I can sort of get why he might believe what he does. I don't I still don't agree with it, but I can understand his position. And and that. You know, at least keeps me from being violent to that person and, and reacting in some horrible way. And uh, so as we think about, you know, we all have a right to free speech and particularly political speech is protected by our Constitution and it's highly protected under Oregon's con Constitution also. Um, but we have a responsibility to how we use that that right. Um, and, it, and it's more of a moral and, and reasoned responsibility. Uh, are we really adding to civil discourse? to polite civil discourse, are we really trying to uh, explain why we're, we're um, supporting our side of an issue? You know, what's our rationale? And are we willing to even listen to the other person's rationale? And, and are they willing to explain? You know, we, if we could get to that, you know, it would change uh, the style of discourse. And, you know, we all need to understand that everybody has a point of view and that point of view seeps into their their reporting and and um, writing and whatever uh, as a bias so the whole accusations of you know the media is biased one way or the other or you know talk radio is horrible and all that that personal bias is something that's built into, into the human nature. And, and we all have to understand that. And that's part of critical thinking is knowing that what, what we consume has the bias of the author of whoever we're, we're you know, uh, material we're consuming, which is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to go out and do our own research and come to our own conclusions. You know, and that's, that's really something that's somewhat missing from our educational system nowadays. And I've heard everyone complain about, you know, the fact that we're not getting there. So that's really uh, what I'd like to kind of see happen with this whole idea of politics. Um, so I see uh, Robin is flagging me that she's got a question from a listener. What's up, Robin? 
Well, this is, uh, by the way, uh, just remind people that on Facebook or email, if you have questions during this program, you know, especially if you don't want to be identified or whatever, we'd be more than happy to read it. So this is a text message uh, from Mark, who is kind of commenting on the recent question of downtown. And his comment is of downtown about uh, Eugene, how to revitalize. So his, his question comment is, Panhandlers and Eugene, Anything in the works to deal with this issue? Springfield seems to have minimized the problem. He says, I was in Washington State, didn't see a one. It is an attractive look for our city. Why is it tolerated? We have so many services in this town. We cater to the travelers to the extreme. Let's deal with it. And it seems to be getting worse if we ignore it. Any comments on that, Jay? Yeah, and that kind of reminds me it was the second topic I wanted to get to today, which was to talk about what what would make people come downtown because KMTR was talking about um, you know, possibly having beer gardens on Friday evenings and and uh, you know what would make people show up and uh, this whole issue of panhandling is is ties into you know free speech believe it or not because there have been rulings by the Oregon Supreme Court you know, they're specific to Oregon, so you, that's one of the reasons why there might be a difference in Washington State that basically says panhandling is protected speech, that it cannot be limited by government action. You can't have a panhandling free zone in the state of Oregon. So government cannot control panhandling because it is a form of free speech. What What they can do is you know, like Springfield has done, is pass laws that make it illegal to transfer um, anything between a somebody in a motor vehicle and a pedestrian through the window while that motor vehicle is in the traveled way, which prevents folks from passing, you know, food, coins, whatever, to somebody standing at an intersection while they're stopped at a, a traffic light. Um, which kind of prevents some of the panhand style panhandling that happens at least at intersections. Um, but it doesn't prevent somebody from walking up to you on the sidewalk in Springfield and saying, can you, you have any spare change? Um, that, that actual speech is protected. Um, you know, what I would encourage people is most of the time, uh, the, reason folks panhandle is they're looking for cash to support uh, things they can't get through our community services. You can get food. Um, you can get um, some shelter. I wouldn't say it's absolutely easy to get um, because we're, we're over capacity, but there, you know, you can get food, you can get medical help. Um, you know, there, there's all sorts of things you can access, you know, clothes, but you cannot get cigarettes, alcohol, or drugs, you know, from a, from a social service agency. Although I might think our methadone clinic would be considered getting drugs, but that's a little bit different. Um, but that's really um, what those folks are after, is, is cash in hand that they can use to to, to get the things that you can't get from services, which are generally not productive things in, in their life. You know, 
cigarettes, alcohol, and drugs are not really going to help that person. So if you're the person that's, that feels sorry and is willing to hand a, a buck or, or a five out the window to somebody that's panhandling or, or reach in your pocket and, and get all the spare change out for somebody on, on the sidewalk, you're not really helping that person. If you have that urge, I would recommend that you grab that spare change, stop at the Eugene Mission, Catholic Community Services, or as you're, you know, checking out of the grocery store, half the time there's there's uh, donation jars right there for various causes. Contribute that money to a nonprofit service agency because you will do much more good with it there. Uh, in particular, I support Lamet Family Treatment. Uh, they do a lot of work with addiction treatment for these folks. And I also support um, uh, the, um, a, a couple other agencies that serve, serve folks here locally. Um, you know, that, that's what, what you need to do with, that, with, with your urge. And, and, you know, you can tell folks that. When they come up and ask you for that spare change, say, no, I don't have any because I contribute to Catholic community services. Um, if you need help, you can go there, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, that, that's, that's really, we need to start changing the culture uh, of, of folks here to not hand out cash. You know, to me, that's an education thing. And something that, as a government official, I can add to that education by talking about that. The second thing I'd like to mention about that is there is a misnomer that because we provide services in Lane County, we are drawing people from outside the area. Looking at our data that we have uh, on, and this is coming from the nonprofits, we have a, a data system if you are getting money through our Human Services Commission that's going to some of these nonprofits, you have to participate in a data collection system on, on your clientele. And one of the things they collect is, you know, where, where are you from? You know, and we, the majority, vast majority, 80 to 90 percent of the folks that are being serviced by St. Vincent de Paul, Catholic Community Services, the mission, are Lane County and Oregon residents. They're not coming from California. They're not coming from Washington State. There's the occasional person that, tra you know, the quote, the traveler that, that's, that's coming through the area. Um, but it's not necessarily the services that bring them here. We have a mild winter. Um, we have recreational marijuana that's legal, <laughs> Yeah. There's other things that may draw some of those, those, those young folks that are trying the outdoor lifestyle out. Um, and we've got people right now that don't understand the detrimental effect of handing cash to a panhandler. So they can, they, they can actually survive panhandling. Um, and um, the, the winters aren't that bad. And, you know, pots everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> So we may be attractive to some of those folks, but the vast majority of the folks that are homeless actually started out having problems as juveniles. And you can, you can trace it back to what they call adverse childhood experiences, uh, ACEs as it's known in, in the, in the uh, 
social services world, these folks are folks that had parents that were addicted, had parents that spent time in jail and prison, uh, didn't have a complete family where it was they were in a single parent household. They oftentimes were hungry or or um, homeless as a youth. And a lot of times their addictions that are now driving their homelessness started as pre-teenagers. Uh, I, you know, I had a friend that struggled with addiction who actually started doing some of her heaviest drugs at age 12, you know, and, and it was basically treating an un, un, uh, diagnosed bipolar um, issue that she has. And uh, it was self-medication. You know, so, and it took her multiple times through treatment to eventually, um, you know, get into recovery and, and have it stick. And, you know, I, I'm really proud of her. I think she's beyond 10 years now sober. Uh, and uh, that's, that's what, you know, that was the homeless person, you know, and that person doesn't choose to become homeless and move to Eugene because they can get more services. You know, that person's wherever they just kind of end up at the time that they, they, their life spins out of control to the point where they lose their housing. You know, that's, and it's not necessarily a choice and it's usually addiction, mental illness, disabilities, uh, health issues, all sorts of things can drive homelessness. Uh, and people generally, there's a very, very, very small segment of the homeless population that has said, hey, this is pretty cool. I think I'm going to go out and live on the streets. You know, there's usually some underlying reason, even between some of the folks that choose that. And uh, we look at some of the there's a certain segment of the, the homeless population you don't see very often because they choose to live almost like a hermit where they don't want to interact with anybody at all, anytime. And it tend, tends to be a, a heavy population of veterans that are suffering from extreme post-traumatic stress syndromes where they just can't be around people, you know, and, and those guys live out in the woods, try and, come out of the woods to get their bare necessities and go back in the woods. And you probably rarely see them. Um, you know, and that's, that's just a, a, a choice in that. And, and it's driven by an underlying mental health issue. So, um, you know, as I think about what will bring people downtown, I think we need to change that culture around panhandling uh, of the folks that actually are, are not so much, because it is protected speech to ask for money, it's a choice to give the money to them. And what we need to do is educate our population here in Lane County that it's not a good choice to hand cash to somebody that's asking for it on the street. You know, that it's going to get used for purposes that are not healthy to that person's lifestyle. You know, there's there's much, you know, there are services for those people. So as you get that urge to hand that dollar out your window, stick it in, in, in you know, don't hand it out, stick it in, in a uh, envelope and mail it off to Looking Glass and it'll help some homeless youth, youth uh, or kid that's at risk of being homeless. Send it off to Willamette Family Treatment and somebody might actually, you know, get cured of their addiction, you know, 
get it to St. Vincent de Paul and somebody might get some overnight housing uh, in the wintertime. You know, that, that's what you need to do with that dollar. Don't hand it to that person who will use it to go down to uh, the local convenience store and purchase cigarettes and add to their health issues, you know, or they'll use it to, um, you know, get their, their uh, alcohol or drugs and, and get high. And that really isn't helping them get to the root cause of why they're on the street in the first place. So um, that's one of the things we might need to do. So I, I'd be curious about what other people think we ought to do to try and get people to come downtown. What would it take for you to come to Eugene downtown and spend an evening um, in downtown Eugene or a, a weekend afternoon uh, or, or your lunch hour? What would let you come to Eugene downtown? What do you need? Give us a call here at the Bose Nose Show, 646-721-9887. And you can talk to me, your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. And just when you dial at 646-721-9887, press one and that lets Robin, our call screener, know you want to get in on the conversation. Um, so, uh, you know, that's really... Uh, Kind of wondering, you know, what what would it be that would um, get you to come to downtown Eugene or or downtown Springfield or downtown Cottage Grove or downtown Junction City or downtown Florence? What what is it you want to see in a downtown? What barriers do you want removed? You know, for this particular person, where the question was, you know, what about all these panhandlers? How can how can we deal with that? Um, you know, what do you want? You know, Robin, what what would you want downtown? What would you want to see that would would get you to to participate in, in a down in a, in a vibrant downtown? Well, <clears throat> two of the biggest things, at least on my list, is of course is parking, which is a, a big issue downtown. But also, kind of a question out to you is uh, when you walk downtown, and again, you talk about freedom of speech and whatever, but when you're walking downtown, you got people that are sleeping on the street, sleeping in the entryways of buildings, and um, you get to the point that you're just, you're, you're really scared, especially in the evenings, to walk down the street by yourself because of all those people, but um, is there anything that can be done as far as that goes? Yeah, I think... Um you know, making people feel safe is an important aspect of drawing people downtown. And I think, um, you know, the city of Eugene has actually taken some pretty active steps to clean up the park blocks and some of the, the area immediately around the park blocks where they've added a, um, a much stronger police presence um, and, and some of their, you know, bicycle patrols and all that stuff. And I think that's, you know, they just need to, um, maybe extend that program and make sure people feel safe. Um, Springfield, you know, they opened their municipal jail. So they're starting to, you know, the, the folks that have a tendency to have a lot of those misdemeanor, misdemeanor behavioral issues avoid being in Springfield because they know they're going to spend the night on one of those hard beds um, dressed in pink stripes or whatever it is they have and, and eating um, peanut butter and jelly for lunch or, <laughs> uh, 
you know, it's not a fun thing to spend time in the Springfield jail. Um, so they, they've kind of um, controlled some of that in that way. Um, you know, so having some consequence for, um, you know, having some of those misdemeanor behaviors that make people feel unsafe. But the, you know, the other aspect is that is that guy sleeping in that doorway has some underlying problem that they're sleeping in that doorway. So trying to deal with long-term permanent solutions for those folks is part of it, but that doesn't immediately change that. But I think a stepped up law enforcement presence, um, one of the things that's kind of helpful is the CAHOOTS um, uh, mental crisis response where it's not necessarily the, the cops interacting with those folks, but we actually get somebody that's the CAHOOTS teams are um, a combination of somebody that's a uh, an EMS uh, medical person with somebody that's got mental health crisis training. And those people will come out and maybe talk to that person, suggest maybe they might be more comfortable at the mission or um, some other place um, and get them to some temporary, uh, you know, our, our new uh, hourglass um, crisis center, you know, uh, whether or the uh, um, Buckley House Sobering Center, get them someplace where, you know, they're not having that presence on the street. Those are the kind of things I think that'll start helping, you know, kind of clean the streets up, so to speak, um, so people feel safer. Um, you mentioned parking, too, and that's um, something that, you know, definitely is, is an interesting aspect. But, you know, it's interesting that, um, I look at our parking garage in Lane County and it's full during the day. Um, and quite often the parkade and the Holt center parking lot and all that, they'll be full between eight and five during periods of weekdays, but at five o'clock on a Friday evening, our parking lot is empty except for the few, you know, there's some folks that have to be at our 911 emergency call center. So there's some cars parked there, you know, so there's some maintenance staff or whatever else. So, you know, weekends, that parking is not very well utilized. So that some, some, some extent, you know, at the times where they want to draw people down, there actually is plenty of parking available downtown. It's how do we steer people to it and, and making sure it's low cost and close to where people want to be. So, um, yeah, I know that most of the parking garages in downtown are free after 6 p.m. Maybe it needs to be moved up to free after 5 p.m. Uh, maybe there needs to be more parking built. One of the things that Lane County is looking at is our, our current two levels of parking can actually have another four to five levels built above it, and we could get another 400 parking spaces right down there at 6th and Oak, uh, across from the Hilton and diagonal from Fifth Street Market and across the street from uh, Brian Obie's uh, proposed Sixth and Oaks project. And what would be interesting is um, with some of the uh, evening restaurants and um, the Holt Center theater usage and uh, the residential uh, component as part of that Sixth and Oaks project, there might actually be evening and weekend demand for parking that could be well intermixed. And, and, you know, that's the whole, one of the great things about mixed use development, it tends to have a 24 hour need for parking. 
the residential folks want to park overnight and then they go off to work in the morning. And the businesses that are in those mixed use need the parking during the day. You know, the only issue you have is is that, that transition in the early in the morning and, and, and the later in the evening as people come home. Usually it kind of works out though. Um, so that's, you know, driving some mixed use um, and getting some people actually living in downtown, I think will also help um, with, you know, that'll add to the need for supplying that parking. So they'll add parking, but also having people downtown living ha has that presence of, you know, th th there gets to be this um, critical mass where if you got more people coming downtown that are there for, um, you know, participating in the restaurant scene, the, the evening entertainment scene, uh, and, and downtown you know, on legitimate purposes, they tend to push out eventually the folks that are down there for not so good purposes and, and, and make, make it look safer because you're, you're there amongst a crowd of people um, doing the same thing. And that, that's part of what we, we ought to work towards. You, go ahead, Robin. Yeah, just two, two points real quick. Uh, one, getting back to parking. Uh, some of the parking spaces downtown uh, that are owned by Diamond, they um, don't have a way to pay for the spots unless you call them or use the app, and then you have to pay for the full day, which is like $7 plus a percent convenience fee. But the other thing that, getting back to kind of like what you're saying, and I think they tried this in Portland with the Max Line, is if you utilize say, some of that extra parking space that you're saying and maybe get the businesses on the weekend to kind of get up some funds and use the breeze buses to just kind of loop around like around the city and like if you are going to these businesses or something like that or it's a free ride from the parking too close to the business or something like that you don't have to travel so much or so long by foot especially late at night you know it'd be like a good friday saturday night type of, of thing yeah which leads me to a completely different issue in some ways but i think one of the things that would help our downtown is we've got to find a way to get Uber and Lyft and ride services legal in Eugene and Lane County. Um, that, that I think, you know, ultimately, you know, I used Uber when I was in Washington, D.C. Um, last February and March, and I've used it every time I go there. Um, you can get an Uber ride almost instantaneously and go almost anywhere, and it's relatively cheap. You know, and of course you have, an app, have to have an app on your phone and all that stuff. But when you think about trying to bring people downtown, particularly for nightlife where they may be drinking, um, if there was Uber available, people would feel a lot more, you know, willing to do that versus I've heard stories about calling a cab in, in Eugene and waiting and people waiting an hour for a cab to show up because there just doesn't seem to be enough service availability. And the bus system doesn't necessarily go everywhere where people want to go on a schedule that they want to go. A breeze bus system, it's still going to be on a set route and, and buses are only going to come so often. So, you know, the, the ultimate thing is, you know, turning it over to the free market and that Uber Lyft type services really um, can fill that gap and make people have the ability where they don't have to, to be pedestrians and feel unsafe. That way they can get into an Uber or, or a Lyft and get to where they're going at a relatively cheap, quick way. Um, 
and feel safe in doing so. So that that's really uh, um, one of the things I think that would help with downtown is is we need to resolve that issue and find a way to legitimize ride sharing and and ride services. Um, and, and that 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 I think would help quite a bit. As long as the city doesn't do like they did with the taxi cabs and say we're we're only going to allow everybody has to have a permit, but we're only going to to allow so many permits, and so we limit uh, the availability. So if they do allow Uber to come in, they might just say we're only going to allow ten, fifteen Uber drivers at one time. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's part of what they can't do. Um, if they're going to allow it, they need to allow it in, in its natural state, which tends to get enough drivers, tends to eventually balance out because, dri- you know, the drivers, you know, if they're not making money, stop driving. So um, they tend to get about enough drivers for the demand. But I think it's actually hurting us in the tourism industry right now because most people now have gotten used to going to wherever they're visiting and being able to get an Uber. And and it's frustrating to them, you know. In fact, the NCAA's are in town, and I, I actually ran into a couple athletes from LSU on the corner, and they were asking why they couldn't get an Uber. Exactly. Well, even I would use a service like Google's self-driving, uh, if yeah, or system. Uh, even I'd use that to go to work and back, or if I wanted to go downtown because, like I say, parking's horrible. They can drop me off where I need to go. And uh, you just increased the convenience factor by 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know that that's part of drawing those folks downtown. It's got to be convenient. You know, as, as we you know we're talking earlier about how social media has changed social discourse because people don't have a long attention span. Um, waiting for a cab is not convenient to a lot of people, and uh, people don't necessarily always want to walk. So Uber might be the way to go. But there are other ways to make um, streets more conducive to walking, too, and, and feeling safer um, and changing the culture around um, supporting panhandling, I think, will make those streets nicer to walk on. And, you know, there's just a whole bunch of things we could be doing to make downtown more vibrant. One of the things we need to do, though, is get people living downtown. And I think uh, trying to get things, you know, the 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 residential mixed developments down there is going to be a big thing. And that's really, you know, one of the things we need is, is more housing units and that, that housing that's not typical. You know, the, the, the day and age where we have enough land to just keep building single family subdivisions is kind of changing. And uh, we need to have some of those in between things for folks especially, you know, some of the folks that are aging out in our population that don't want to have a yard to take care of. So getting close to the end of the show here, next week my guest will be Steve Mokerheiske, our Lane County Administrator, and that'll be just about the time that our board will be considering and maybe passing our budget. So I bet we're going to talk about Lane County's budget next week. So hopefully you get a chance to tune in next week when I talk with Steve Mokerheiske. This has been the Bo's No Show. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and a great weekend. And listen to us next week on the Bo's No Show, Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Talk to you then.